Good morning and welcome to Foothills Church. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm so glad that you are here with us. Whether you are joining us here in person in the room in Maryville, whether you're joining us from our Knoxville location or whether you're watching online, uh, I'm specifically excited that you're here this morning because we are starting a brand new series called Sticks and Stones. Now, you probably read the name of that series and your mind goes to where we want it to go, right? The, the old saying that you've probably heard that you're probably familiar with. Have you guys heard the saying about sticks and stones? Yeah, go something like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Little intense for children, but may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And usually we hear this, this is kind of how it plays out. A five-year-old runs up to their dad or their mom and they're crying and the parent's like, what happened? And the five-year-old's like, he called me a butt face. And then you're like, okay, little Johnny, they called you a butt face? Okay, here's what you need to go tell them. You tell them sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. And then they run off and they go play. And the only problem with a statement like this is it's ridiculous, right? The only problem with a statement like this is we realize now that it doesn't transfer to adulthood. This statement makes sense maybe for a five-year-old that gets called a butt face, but I don't know that it makes sense when we step into real life situations as grown adults. Let me give you some examples. Think about it. Imagine hearing the words, you're fired from a company that you've been devoted to for decades. Imagine reading over the words on the divorce papers sitting on your desk at home. Imagine being betrayed by the words of a friend, of a lifelong friend that you thought you could trust and they stab you in the back. Now, now I shared those examples to communicate this that words do hurt. Words often do hurt. And so when we say words can never hurt us, we realize that that saying that we said to, to our kids or maybe that we have heard as children, we realize that it's ridiculous because it doesn't transfer into reality. Because the reality is words do hurt. And the reason for that is because words are extremely powerful. And so that's why we want to do this series that's why we want to have a series called Sticks and Stones where we're actually saying that words can hurt you. And so we realize that there are power, there's power in our words. And so we have to figure out how do we navigate using words in a way that actually glorifies God because our words are powerful. That's what this series is about. We have to understand that words have a deep significance in our life. Here's how I know this is true because so many of the important things in our life are composed of words. The Constitution of the United States, one of the most meaningful documents in world history, is composed of 7,591 words. More relevant to some of you, the college football rule book, a sport that many of us watch on Saturdays and some of us worship on Saturdays. Yikes. It's a little early, sorry. The college football rule book is composed of 106,096 words. But here's how I know words are powerful. 
I know that words are powerful because it doesn't take 106,096 words to convey significance, to have meaning, to make an impact. You can have three words, I love you, or less than that, some of you have said these words or heard these words or about to say these words, I do. Those words stick with you, right? They stick with you. They have meaning. They're powerful when we say them, when we mean them, when we let our actions back them up. But what about these words? I don't love you anymore. Mm. Those words stick with you too. Those words hurt. Why? Because words are powerful. Words hold weight. Words have great significance in our lives. And this message today may not be particularly profound to some of you. This may not be revolutionary for you, but I I do hope that it's practical because I believe that the Bible has a lot to say, not just about the power of words, but actually how we're supposed to put those things into practice, how we're actually supposed to use our words and put them to good use. I think it's very obvious when we, when we look at the Bible and realize that God values words. He places a high value on words. In fact, if you go all the way back to creation, Genesis chapter 1, God spoke words and then things were created. God said, let there be light, and then there was light. So God clearly places a huge value on words. He chose to create through words. He also chose to reveal himself through words. Scripture, that's what that is. It's God revealing himself to us. And he continues to choose to communicate to his people using words. So God clearly places a high value on words. And today, what I want us to do is open up God's written word and look at James chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 3. While you're turning there, James, I want to give you a little bio of him. He was the half-brother of Jesus, right? Same mom, very different dads. Half-brother of Jesus, all right? And so James is no, has no doubt his entire life heard the words of Jesus in his household. He grew up with Jesus. He heard his words. And yet, he doesn't actually put his faith in Jesus until after the resurrection, which I think is really interesting, probably for another message on another day. But from that moment on, he was convinced. He was convinced that his brother was the son of God. And out of that conviction, he chose to leverage his words for the gospel. He chose to leverage his words so that other people would experience the power of the gospel. He wanted to build up believers in wisdom through some words that he wrote. So in James chapter three, in verse one, that's where we're starting today. Verse one says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Let me pause here before we get into the words part of this and and focus on this word teacher. It says, It says that not many should become teachers, and it's primarily talking about teachers of God's word. But when we think about this idea of teacher, it says they'll be judged with greater strictness. So why is there greater judgment reserved for teachers? I believe it's because of this. I believe there's greater judgment for teachers because teachers have been intentionally, strategically placed in the lives of their students. It is their role to guide them, and they possess a great amount of influence. 
They get to influence their students every single day with their words. And so in a very real sense, when we're thinking about this, a teacher is a person with influence, a person whose goal is to instruct, a person whose goal is to direct. And so a teacher is someone who has influence. And if you're a believer in the room today, I want to remind you of the Great Commission. Not only are you supposed to make disciples and baptize them, but it also says that we're supposed to teach them all that I've commanded you. So in a very real sense this morning, we're all teachers. And so this is for us. And I want you to know that that means that you and I are going to be judged with greater strictness for the words that come out of our mouths, for the words that we use, and for the words that pop into our brains that we think about. We're going to be judged based on that because you have influence. Your word carries weight. Your words matter. In other words, you have influence. In other words, what I'm saying is your words mean more to someone. There are people in your life that your words mean more to them than other people. Husbands, your words mean more to your wife. Wives, your words mean more to your husbands. Parents, your words mean more to your kids. Coaches, mentors, friends, your words mean more to those that you have influence. And this is the big one. Christians, believers in the room, our words mean more to a lost world that's looking at us seeing how we talk to each other. Your words mean more to someone. They mean more to someone. So when we think about this idea of influence and these teachers having influence, we need to go back to the passage here. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we you teach will be judged with greater strictness. It says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Listen, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that this is an easy thing. Even myself as a pastor, I struggle with this. I have to fight and figure out how in the world do I use my words in a proper way. This is a struggle for all of us. He says, we stumble in many ways. He's talking about sin. We, we all sin in many ways. But then he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, if anyone does not stumble in the, in the words that he uses, that man is perfect. He's perfect. And I hate to tell you guys, there is one perfect man. His name is Jesus. So you and I, we are not perfect, which means we struggle with this. We struggle with this. So, so this word perfect here in the passage it essentially has a few meanings. It could mean perfect or it could also mean complete or mature. And so what he's saying is if you are able to master your words, what you are doing is achieving perfection. <laughs> and so for us, realizing that, that we're not perfect, that we need to mature in this way, this is important because in a very real sense, in a very real sense, the ability to control your words is a sign of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity just means looking more and more like Jesus. He's the perfect one. And so as we begin to learn what it means to control our words, we become more spiritually mature. To some degree, the spiritually mature person has figured out ways to practice self-control when it comes to the way they speak. Nobody does this perfectly. 
None of us. We all stumble many ways, right? Nobody does this perfectly, but someone who is spiritually mature has figured out ways to some degree to, to manage this. And so when we think about the, the idea that we are supposed to, we are supposed to have this under control, what we need to realize is that one, we are supposed to move towards spiritual maturity in this way. And number two, we need to realize that we in ourselves cannot do it. And so many of you may, may be in the room and you're like, well, for me, I just speak it how it is. I just tell whether people want to hear it or not, I just tell it how it is and, and I'm very direct and I'm very, okay, I'm sure some people appreciate that. But have you ever considered that perhaps, maybe, by you doing that, you're not communicating what you think you're communicating in love and so you're coming across as arrogant and you're actually lacking something. You're actually lacking spiritual maturity. You're lacking the ability to control your words. You're lacking fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We're called to be self-controlled people to step towards spiritual maturity. I know this isn't easy. In fact, the verse says this. He says, that man is perfect and he is able also to bridle his, own, his whole body. In other words, he's able to take control of his entire body. If you have mastered the art of controlling your words, that means that you've already mastered the art of every other part of your body. That's what he's saying. That's next level self-control, right? The, the kind of self-control that only perfect people are able to achieve. And so think about what it means, like our whole body working together. You're talking about your diet. And some of you are like, all right, that's where I draw the line here. Chill out with the diet. Stay with me for a second, all right? I'm with you. Imagine, imagine the, the food intake, all right, that you, that you bring into your body, that you consume. You're able to control that easier than the words that you say. You're able to only eat one basket of chips and salsa at Chili's easier than choosing the words that you had to say. Think about this, exercise, conditioning our body, running, working out, making sure that we're healthy. Those things are very difficult. They, they, they uh, require a next level commitment, right? Self-control to the highest degree. He's saying it is easier to control that part of your life than the words that you use. Think about this, our sexual desire. He's saying it is easier for you to control your sex drive than it is for you to control the words that are coming out of your mouth. If you can control your words, you, you've got the rest of it mastered. That's how difficult it is, which puts the more importance on this series. We have to figure out what it looks like to practice self-control when it comes to our words. Not often do we think of our words in this way. We don't, we don't think about them as having that sort of impact. We know that words matter, but uh, we don't think about it to that degree. And so what James does now is he kind of gives a, a little bit of object illustrations. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder 
wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts in great things. He gives several examples of, of small objects that control enormous amounts of power. In other words, he's saying there is a disproportional amount of power that our, whole, that our words hold in our lives. And so the first thing he, he says is it's like a, a bit in a horse's mouth. Now, I'm not a horse guy, okay? I don't know much about horses, but this is something that you put in a horse's mouth. This is a bit right here, this metal piece. You put it in a horse's mouth and you're able to direct it. You're able to control it. Now, uh, Pastor Trent wouldn't let me bring in a live horse on, on stage this morning. Uh, something about the hardwood, I think. But, but I want you to imagine with me, okay? A horse, full-grown horse. These are massive animals, enormous amounts of power. We literally grade how fast a car is, how powerful it is, based on horse's power, okay? So this is a powerful creature. And all I have to do, you're telling me, is put this piece of metal in its mouth and have someone tell me what I, how to direct it. And then I can have control over this massive, strong, powerful animal. He's saying that's like our words. It seems small. It seems insignificant. But it actually controls and directs and causes us to obey it directs parts of our lives, our words do, just like this bit. And then he goes on and he says, it's kind of like a boat that has rudders. I know this isn't a, a rudder, but what this does is this is a, a steering wheel of a boat. And as we steer it, it directs a piece on the back of the boat, a rudder, and it moves like this. And so you have the ability to move a massive cruise ship with the turn of a steering wheel. The rudder moves and the direction of the ship begins to shift. And so in the same way, he's saying your words are like that rudder. It seems small, it seems insignificant, but it actually makes a massive difference in your life. And so both of these things, I think it's interesting. It talks about the direction of a ship. It talks about the, the horse's ability to obey and the person on the horse guiding it. And so what essentially I think it's teaching us about words is that our words determine our direction. The words that we say, not just the words we say, but the words that we listen to, the words that we believe eventually become words that we obey. And so people can tell a lot about where you've been and where you're going by the words that you find significant in your life. The words that you listen to, the words that you fill your heart with, the words that you surround yourself with, our words are significant. They determine the direction of our life. Like a horse's bit, like the rudder of a boat. It seems small to us, but the power behind our words it's massive. And he gives one more example. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. This is pretty intense language, all right? The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. And so, I want you to get this. You might be thinking, where's the positive part of this message? It's coming. Bear with me, all right? But the, clearly, James wants us to understand that it's not just our direction that's determined by our words, but words also have a great capacity for destruction in our life. 
You can destroy things with your words. I believe that, we, that our words hold great potential. They have the potential to be used for very, very good ways. It is our responsibility to steward the words that we speak. And God gave us the ability to do that for his glory. But our words also hold a great potential for evil. A great potential for destruction. The Bible says that the power of life and death are in the tongue. They're in our words. It says you can use your words to build someone up or you can use your words to tear them down to the very foundations of their being. Words are destructive. It says that a great forest is set ablaze by one small fire. And you think about we live in, in a very mountainous area. We live in, in an area that's like we, national forests around us. There's trees everywhere. To, to imagine that something as small as this, when lit on fire, has the potential to burn the whole thing to the ground. It has the potential to destroy so much of what God intended for something different. It has the potential to destroy so much of God's creation. And it's out. And the scary part about that is, is it took 10 seconds for that match to burn out. And it can take even shorter amount of time for you to say one word, unintentionally or intentionally, that ruins a relationship. Less time to destroy your reputation. Less time to administer destruction in your life. It says one small fire, one match can set ablaze an entire forest entire forest. Words have potential for destruction. I, I'm sure that many of you will remember the, uh, the, the devastating fires that were really right here in our community, uh, right in Gatlinburg, right? Right over a few of these mountains, the fires that, that begin to spread in the Smoky Mountains. And we actually have a picture here, three killed as Smoky's wildfires forces evacuation of 14,000. This is just one article. I'm sure that there is more devastation than was able to be captured here. But I'm sure many of you uh, remember those. We, we could see them really from this location. We could see the fires. We could see the devastation. And from my understanding, everything that I read, those fires were started with a match. Started with a match. One small fire burned up thousands of acres. One small fire cost people millions of dollars, their well-being, their businesses. One small fire claimed the lives of people, literally destroyed lives. Our words seem small, but they are not. Our words seem insignificant, but they are not. And I think one of, the, one of the scariest things, and from everything that I read, everything that I heard about that same devastation, those wildfires, it came from one match, and everything that I read, it was not intentional. It was not their intention to harm anyone. It was not their intention to burn down businesses. It was not their intention for any of that to happen. I think the unfortunate thing when it comes to our words is, unfortunately, our intentions don't always matter when it comes to our words. You say something, it's like, well, I didn't mean it that way. Well, that's how they heard it. Well, 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 I, that's, not, that's not exactly what I meant. Damage has been done. 
even if your intentions were different than someone's perception, that, that doesn't always matter when it comes to our words. So we have to be so careful. We have to be so in charge of our words because it has the potential, whether it's intentional or not, to do irreversible damage. Irreversible damage. And that's scary, but I think it speaks to the importance for us in this series. We have to learn how to, this is how James puts it, we have to learn how to tame the tongue. Verse seven and eight, this is what he says. We've learned how to tame the tongue. He says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. You're talking elephants, you're talking bears, you're talking lions, tigers, all of those things have been tamed by humans, but no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can 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 maintain control of the words that we use. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Mm. That's huge. That's huge. No human being can tame the tongue. And so what this tells me, knowing that we are people who, this, when the Spirit of God is in, in us, are self-controlled people, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Knowing that, knowing that that's the life we're supposed to live, what that tells me is no human being can do it, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can. So we need the Holy Spirit to intervene and help us in our lives, actually be able to take control of the words that we use. And if you want to do that, if you want to give the Holy Spirit control, if you want to tame the tongue, you have to name what's in your heart. You want to be able to, to, to tame and take control of the words that you speak to people and the fires that we're breathing out. If you, want to, if you want to control those things, what you have to do is name what's in your heart. It starts there. Jesus in Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So many times our words are just a product of things that are already in our heart. This is how this plays out for me, all right? For me, when, there is, when I'm dealing with some sort of issue in my heart, it manifests itself through very critical words. I, I get very negative. I get critical of other people. My wife points this out way better than I see it in myself. And so what she doesn't do is say, you need to change the way you talk to people. What she does is she says, what is going on in your heart right now? You're being very critical. You're being negative. That's a trigger for you. What is it that's in your heart? Because she understands that, that the words are just the fruit. Like we need to get down to the root of what's actually going on inside of us. And if you want to fix the words that are leaving your mouth, what you have to start with is you have to figure out and deal with the wickedness that lives in your heart. Because many times the words are just a product. The root is somewhere deeper. So if you want to begin to tame the tongue and take control of your words, you've got to learn how to kill sin in your life. You've got to learn how to kill sin. Because what's in our heart eventually makes its way out. It does. And oftentimes what it does is it makes its way out through the words that we speak. And we end up destroying some relationships. We end up destroying our reputation. There is destruction that follows when we are not careful. Verse nine says this, it says, with it, with our words, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this ought not to be so. So what I'm communicating the rest of this message to you guys is this. Brothers, sisters in Christ, it should not be the case that with the same mouth we show up here on a Sunday and we lift our hands and we sing praises and we amen the person on stage and then we leave here and leave a trail of destruction in our marriage, in our home, and at work with our words. It ought not to be so. said, you bless the Lord, you come here and worship, and then we curse the people who are made in the likeness, in the image of God. So what I want to do is I want to talk about this idea of blessing and cursing. I'm going to make it very simple for you. John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York. He says that this is pretty simply put, blessing and cursing are essentially just the two ways that we can treat people. We can bless them or we can curse them. And so when I talk about this word blessing, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean the casual bless you after someone sneezes. I don't mean the casual God bless you during the holidays or when someone opens the door for you. I don't mean the unexpected gift. Oh, that was such a blessing. Thank you. I don't mean the classic Southern line. Oh, bless his heart right after you just absolutely roast somebody. (laughs) Bless her heart. She's an idiot. You know what I mean? Like that's how we use, that's not what I'm talking about. This idea of blessing that I'm referring to is much deeper than that. So we need to look at what God says, at what his word, how his word uses this word blessing to figure out how we should use our potential for blessing as well. So there's really three words in scripture that that kind of mean the word blessing. It's written in a different language, right? A few different languages. And so it doesn't always translate directly to our English word blessing. So there are really three different words used to convey the same thing. In the Old Testament is this word barak. Uh, It really means to speak the favor or intention of God over someone. That's what it means to bless, to speak the favor or intention of God over someone, to to reiterate what God says about that person to that person, to speak the intention or favor. In the New Testament, there are two words. The first one is uh, makairos. It means happiness. This is the word that Jesus used when uh, he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, right, that we know them as. Blessed are you who? Blessed is the person. Blessed is, he's saying happy is that person who is mourning. Happy is that person. So that's kind of the word that Jesus uses. Uh, Another word that's used for blessing is this. This one's interesting. Eulogia. It's where we get the English word eulogy. A eulogy is where you come to the end of someone's life, usually at a funeral service. Someone stands up and they share a few words on behalf of that person's life. It's where you give an affirmation of the, per- of the life that someone lived. And I think that one is interesting because I think we've got it mixed up. I think that what we have done to ble- the word blessing is we have limited it to a eulogy or an inheritance. But I'm here to tell you that Blessing was not intended to just happen at the end of your life. We are supposed to be people who are blessing others right now. We're supposed to be people who are always actively trying to bless other people. Dallas Willard puts it simply like this. He says, blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. So our job as Christians, as people who have received a blessing, we have received a blessing. Because we've received that, it is our job to distribute blessing into every area, every relationship of our life through our words. 
You don't have to wait to the end of your life to begin blessing someone. You shouldn't. You're not called to. The problem is our culture is so quick to bless through like giving, like material possessions, and very slow to bless through speaking. Especially men, we really struggle speaking and, and, and talking about our emotions and, and speaking to someone in that way and blessing them. We want to leave a legacy and that, that's great. I think we should all be thinking about how we can prepare for the future and leave a legacy. But what we've done is we put all the priority on leaving our, our family or people we love, money, influence, position in the family business, some inheritance. And I think we've forgotten about what, are, what words are we leaving them with? Because our words are powerful. So what words are we leaving those people with? We do everything we can to leave a generational blessing for those that we love most. And yet so many of us have experienced this. Our parents left us an inheritance, but they did not speak blessing over our lives while they were alive. Blessing is not limited to a eulogy or an inheritance. I have a son, uh, his name is Judah. He's, he's two years old. If you guys have seen him around here, you know that he is 100% boy, a lot of energy, very adventurous, which is really fun. We prayed for that. And uh, now we are experiencing that blessing, we'll say. Uh, and, so, and so he, he uh, keeps us on our toes. He really does. And this is usually what, what happens when he tries something new or he decides to take a risk. Um, he'll say, daddy, daddy. And if I don't answer a few more times, daddy, daddy, I'm like, what, what do you want? And then he's like, watch me. Okay, has anyone ever experienced this with kids? They just, whatever they're doing, whether how, doesn't matter how stupid it is, they just want you to watch them. Like, hey, check this out. He's like, watch me. I'm like, okay, I'm watching. And then usually it's like, he's jumping off the couch or something that literally is like really insignificant. He's like, ugh. And then he turns and looks at me. He's like, yeah, was that good? Like he, he immediately, he wants me to watch him. He immediately turns to me and is looking for something. And what he's looking for is not eye contact. It's not like, hey, like, you know, I, good job, smile at him. Like those are surface level things. What Judah is looking for in that moment is he is looking for a blessing. Judah is looking at me, his dad, someone who has a great amount of influence over him, whose words mean more to him. He's looking at me and saying, dad, are you gonna bless me right now? He doesn't say those words. That's, that's kind of a deeper thing. But what's happening is he is turning to me for a blessing. He's looking. Is dad going to affirm me? Is he going to give me direction? Is he going to speak truth in love to me? Is he going to build me up or is he going to criticize me? Is he going to encourage what I'm doing? And this is a, kind of a silly example of me and my two-year-old. But for you guys, you need to know there are people in your life that are turning and looking to you as a follower of Jesus for a blessing. They're looking at you. There are people that, that your words mean more to them, that you have influence with, that, that are looking to you, figuring out, are they going to, are they going to give me affirmation, encouragement, build me up? Or are they going to ignore me and tear me down with their words or with their lack of words? What are you giving them? James says, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. So we talked about what blessing is. What is cursing? Cursing is this. If blessing is to speak the 
favor or intention of God. Cursing is to reject it. Cursing is rejecting and resisting God's intentions, resulting in his disfavor and displeasure. And this is where it comes back on us. Our dysfunction and destruction. To reject, you're essentially rejecting that blessing. You're rejecting God's favor and his intention. And what that normally leads to is dysfunction in your life and eventually destruction in your life. But it doesn't have to be that way. The Bible says that we are to be people that should be blessing someone, not cursing someone. We're speaking about, we're talking about speaking against the purposes of God, speaking against someone's identity in Christ, speaking to someone as if they are not made in the image of God just like you and I, that's cursing. We'd be clear, I'm not talking about cussing here, all right? Some of you guys are like sigh of relief, okay? You're not talking about cussing here. I'm not talking about placing a hex on someone, like some Harry Potter stuff. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Some of you guys thought you are doing good because you don't cuss that much and you don't place any hexes on people. That's not what I'm talking about. All right, I'm talking about something a little bit deeper than that. Here's what cursing may look like in your life. Maybe this is something that's happened to you. Maybe you have actually experienced the curse of someone else. Maybe they've told you you're worthless. You're a loser. You're fat. You amount to nothing. You're just like your father. They didn't mean that in a good way and you didn't receive that in a good way. And so you've heard some of those things and you've, and you've taken those curses and you've carried them on your shoulders, on your backs for years and years and years and you've lived cursed without a blessing. Maybe you have unintentionally but actively been cursing other people with your words. Maybe you're harsh towards others. You're impatient with your family. Maybe you have disciplined your children out of anger too many times. Maybe you're sharing the truth, but without love. Maybe, maybe for you, you're cursing people by withholding your blessing. Maybe it's all in the words that you've chosen not to say, the words that you've left on the table. And there are people in your life that are craving that from you. They're craving you to bless them with your words and you're not doing it. And in so doing, they are living their life cursed by you because you're withholding a blessing from them. Some of you may be living cursed by words of someone else. Some of you may be actively but yet unintentionally cursing others. We all do in so many ways. It says we all stumble. But either way, here's the goal. Our goal is that we want to break the curses and live in blessing. And for some of us, what we need to do, the way we need to do that is stop cursing other people and start blessing them. Because here's the deal. Our words, they matter. Like, like it, it, to levels that we cannot understand. Our words matter so much and we have to do the hard work of controlling our speech, relying on the spirit to tame our tongues so that we can use our words for a blessing, not a curse. So here are three ways quickly that we can bless other people. Number one is through our speech. We've kind of been talking about this. Through, through the little words that you say, encourage someone, build them up instead of criticizing them. Speak truth to them, but do it in a way that's loving. Offer direction to people you have influence with. These are all ways that you can speak the good intentions and in favor of God over another person. 
literally with your words. Number two, noticing. This is not, words not really involved in this one. This is just noticing someone. You guys ever been in a room and there was someone that just had a way of making you feel like you were the most important person in the room? What that person was doing is they were actually, they were blessing you in that moment. You ever, you ever just like felt noticed by someone? Felt heard by someone? There are many people who do not feel heard that feel like they are unnoticed, that need you to bless them simply by listening. You don't, have to, you don't have to be great with words. Just listen, be there for them. Make them feel known and heard. Notice them. Number three, repairing. We're gonna talk about this here in a few weeks. The, this is the idea of forgiveness. Some of you need to repent and repair some relationships in your life. Some of you need to go on a repentance tour. You need to go around and repent to all kinds of people and say that you're sorry because you've left a trail of destruction because you have been unintentionally cursing people with your words. The good thing is you can heal that wound that you caused through blessing them with an apology. So maybe that's what you need to do. I don't know what it looks like for you, but these are three ways that you can bless others with your words. So we've talked about this idea. Our words have power. We've talked about taming the tongue. We've talked about the idea of, of blessing and trying to avoid cursing those in our life. And it all kind of comes to, to this statement. So the bottom line for my message is only you can choose how you use your words for blessing or for cursing. You're the one that gets to choose. It's your responsibility. God has given you the ability to speak and use your words and communicate and influence so that you can be a blessing. Will you do it? Will you do it? You have an opportunity to bless someone everywhere you go. You have an opportunity in every relationship you have in your life to be a blessing to that other person. So the question is, who are you blessing? Maybe the question you need to ask yourself is, who is relying on my blessing? Who is craving that blessing from me? Who needs that? Maybe you need to ask yourself, what are some ways that I haven't known up until this very moment that I've been cursing people and how can I go about blessing them instead and healing that relationship? This week, I have a challenge for every single one of us, myself included. Here's my challenge. What if every single person in this room, every single person at Foothills Church, every single day of this week, chose to intentionally bless one person? one person a day. You said, I'm gonna be intentional about blessing one person a day. What if you started at home? You blessed your spouse, you blessed your kids. What if you start at work? You bless your boss, you bless your coworkers. What if you made that call to your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, you said, I'm sorry. I haven't known it up to this point, but I've been cursing you with my words. I've hurt you and I need your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Maybe that's what you need to do. One person a day this week, intentionally be a blessing to them. 
It's my challenge as we, as we exit this room, as we go outside of these walls, but I actually have a challenge for us right here, right now, an opportunity for you before you leave this room. We've talked a lot about blessing other people, but here's what I want us to do before we leave this room. I want us all to commit to blessing God. And, and in your mind right now, if that's a weird concept, if that doesn't seem to make sense at first, I want you to remember, we're not blessing God by giving Him anything. He's given us everything. It's His belongs to him. But there is a way that we can speak the intentions and the purposes of God and that they are good back to God. When we worship, we sing words back to him that he longs to hear. He wants to hear those things come out of our mouths. He wants to hear those words spoken and sung to him. Psalm 34 says this, I wanna leave with this. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. And so here in this moment, as we close today, we're going to sing a song. And it's why we sing songs. It's why we come here and we sing songs. And we offer those praises up to God. We're exalting Him. We're magnifying Him. We are giving Him worship that He so longs to hear from us. So you have an opportunity to bless the Lord right here in this moment. when we pray for us. Father, God, we bless you. You are worthy of our praise. God, we, we are so thankful that you have spoken good words over us, that you've given us a new identity. God, that you have blessed us with life in you. And so Father, would you forgive us when we have cursed you and we have cursed others? Whether it be intentional or unintentional, God, would you forgive us of that, Father? And in this moment, would we be able to worship in spirit and in truth? Would we be able to actually bless you and give you words that you long to hear? Would it come from our hearts? God, would you remove anything in our heart that doesn't belong to you and fill us up right now as we offer you praise? Lord, we love you and we bless you. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like this video and leave a comment. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss an upload from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, you can go to our website, foothillschurch.com, or by clicking the link in the description below.